What's up, everybody? This is the Broken City Artist Podcast, episode two. To my right. This is Gannon Arnold. Gannon Arnold, what's up? And Mike Jackson. Yeah. We are, uh, we're all friends and we work together in a lot of different ways. Um, so we're going to talk about today a bunch of different stuff, like about the music industry and something that Gannon was talking about about a minute ago that we wanted to bring up was, I don't know how serious you were, but... Bruce Lee's effect on music. Or Bruce Lee in general. I think Bruce Lee's awesome. Yeah, man. And I think that guy's inspirational, and I think that that he's inspired a lot of different forms of art outside think, of just martial arts. Yeah, I think I think zooming out on 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 uh, Bruce Lee specifically, but just the fact that somebody approaches something that they do in such a philosophical manner, there's a there's a purity to that. I think which is why we even know who Bruce Lee is. Totally. Because he, he transcends martial arts. He transcends um, just fighting in general. Right. Um, or, or defense, however you look at it. Um, I think that's, that's the bigger... That's what I take away from, from Bruce Lee, is that whatever you're doing, um, whether it be an artistic venture or a business venture, but having, having a, a sound philosophy, something that, that, that holds you in place, right. um, or you can think of it as a root... Uh, to a tree, and you, you blossom from that. Um, whatever um, sort of physical analogy works for you, but that's yeah. that's what I take most from from Bruce Lee is his, well, his depth of philosophy. Yeah, yeah. And the weird thing about Bruce Lee is that he, you know, we learn about him through films. So we know of him first as like an actor, karate guy, almost like the same way as Chuck Norris. But he he really knew what he was doing, and that was just an extension of him being an, a total artist. And as you like dig deeper into Bruce Lee, you find out that he had invented his, his own fighting style called Jeet Kune Do. And it was like, his whole thing was like style. Your, your style should be to have no style, like be like water. So he took, exactly. he was the first mixed martial artist. Like we talk about MMA now and UFC and stuff. And some people think of him as the guy who, uh, or at least one of the first guys who like brought all those things together. <clears throat> And said, like, yeah, if you're just doing karate and you're just, like, punching and kicking people, what happens when they tackle you? It's, like, everything that you thought worked doesn't anymore. And so he kind of, like, broke all those barriers and then broke just even cultural barriers and stuff, become just such a huge star. Like one of the first big Asian stars. Oh, yeah, actor, huge. Too. So he's broken cultural barriers and just the ideas of martial arts that were thousands of years old. He busted it wide open. Well, dude, Bruce Lee for me was, like, when I was a kid, I was getting my ass kicked daily by these bullies. And I remember I had this book. Well, I used to watch his movies, and I was like, man, that guy is that guy's incredible. I can do that. Hard Streets of Mission Viejo? What's that? Yeah, in the Hard, hard Streets of Mission Viejo. Dude, I had a bully named Paul Hahn, though, that was like Bruce Lee. So Paul? Guy, you wherever that? you are, probably in prison. But, <laughs> but um, this guy would take my lunch money, like, every week. He'd, he'd come up to me and go, uh, on my arm, i go, oh. He goes, my lunch buddy. I'm like, here. And so I bought this Bruce Lee book because I thought, man, if I could just get a couple moves and I would sit in my bedroom and put the book out, I'd be like, <laughs> I'd just get them out and just start like working on the katas and stuff, you that's know? The Ganfu came The Ganfu. That's where my style came from, you know? <laughs> but I think it's funny because there's definitely a correlation between music and, and fighting, even though it sounds like they shouldn't coexist. Like, for instance, I know Miles Davis was really inspired by Muhammad Ali. 
because there's an art form to it. There's a way of improvisation about it, you know, because you're, it's like two people fighting each other, but you don't know exactly what the other guy's going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy could throw a kick. Same thing with music, you know, if you're writing a song, it's like, you're kind of just sort of, you're improvising. I mean, that's what composition is. Yeah, and I think, I th- especially with bringing Miles Davis into the mix, the, the approach of being organic right. with how you create yeah. is definitely a form of improvisation. You know, it is, and there's, there's two things. In fighting, too, you're either the, the, the aggressor or you're the counter-striker. Right. <clears throat> That's really the way, whether you're collaborating or whether you're like in a you know, jazz improvisational situation, right. somebody gives you something, that's like throwing a punch, and how you either duck that punch and counter-strike is sort of like that conversation. Right. It's like really interesting. Yeah, There's yeah. something going back to what you said earlier, just uh, if you're looking for a certain, like whatever your end game is, like you're looking for a certain sound, a certain effect, um, whatever it is you're working with, whatever medium it is, the looking at how how is that achieved, how is that sound achieved, or how is that, that thing achieved, and that becomes the technique, yeah. which is basically the same thing as saying your style is to have no style. Mm-hmm. And um, I know I, with, in my line of work, I, I do that all the time. Like, this is what we want, this is how we want to achieve this, and developing whatever approach is necessary to achieve that, rather than boxing yourself in and saying, well, this, this is my technique, this is my style, and these are all the things that I can play within my, my little box. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of even uh, percussion techniques were developed from, from non-percussionists looking for a sound. And then the percussionist has to be the, the craftsman and figure out, okay, how does this work? How, how do I get that to happen? Like you see something on paper, a manuscript, and how do you get that to happen? So a composer heard something in his head and it was imposing it on the percussion ensemble. Right, just anything from, you know, uh, uh, a thumb roll on a tambourine or, or, or any, any sort of technique like that. Like you want a certain way to sustain sound on a very staccato instrument. Yeah. Um, or at least seemingly staccato. You right. got a drum and it goes bang. Right. All right, how do we make a whole note on a drum? And then hence the buzz roll. Yeah. And you know so forth, and get you know get as detailed as you want with it. But just the the fact that um, the buzz roll technique wasn't developed from an existing style. It was we need to develop a style in order to play this thing. Right. And we want it to sound a certain way. Yeah. So the goal becomes what feeds the the where you start from, as opposed to just like I, I mean. To wind that back, like as a drummer, so many people get involved in drumming because there's there's just something about it that's attractive, you know. So you're just like, yeah, I'm hitting things, and and you see somebody do it, and you copy that, and you start to just look at drumming and like a less artistic way, it becomes almost like a sport. You know, a lot of people are attracted to drums because it's so primal, and you're just doing it, and then you look at like the reason why you're drumming and like how it affects the music and like in order to get certain emotions out. Drumming is, you know, especially in modern pop music, it's there to support something else. So, like, what what are you doing? So, you you know, you see a lot of <clears throat> drummers just mindlessly bashing cymbals, for example. <clears throat> and then you get singer-songwriters, like, like Sting is famous. Um, Sting and, uh, I think, uh, 
Phil Collins, who was a drummer, ironically, but who say like their big thing was like no cymbals, and they would like kind of take out that piece. I think that was on um, which record was that? Peter Gabriel so where he, he just kind of said, like, there's I think no red, symbols. Is it Red Rain that there's no symbols? Yeah. It's just the hi-hat. Stuart Copeland's playing hi-hat on it. Yeah. But there's, yeah, there's no symbols. And a lot of times Sting, I've heard, will do that. He'll just say, like, well, no crash symbols, you know. And drummers are just like, what? Every four bars I hit a crash symbol. That's what I do, <laughs> you know. But, like, to look at it in reverse and kind of, usually that comes from a non-drummer. But to look at drums from that that standpoint of, like, how is it serving the music? And like you said, like... Finding, finding a, an end goal and then trying to create that on whatever right. you have. You know, we do that a lot with production. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> we want something ethereal, and then just kind of think, well, what's going to create that? Sometimes it'll end up being a, a guitar sound. Sometimes it'll end up being like these things. Just something with reverb on it. Like, you just kind of like, you sort of go to that visionary place and then find a place to start. Right. Well, that brings up an interesting point, though, too, about limitations can also be a means to developing your own unique sound. You know right, what I mean? Yeah. Like, for instance, like, you know, a couple <clears throat> examples. Like, for instance, Frank Zappa would take out the third and he would put seconds and fourths, and his music has a very, like, you don't know if it's a minor or major, but it's always very suspended feeling. And the same thing with King Crimson, they would take out, and the music was based on the um, diminished scale. It's like certain performers or artists, or Philip Glass, who based his off minimalism, repeating fig, uh, figures over and over again and then kind of overlapping them. It's like that, in a way, it's almost like if you have too much to draw from, you get overwhelmed and That's there's like, the worst. what yeah. are you gonna, it's almost like to do, invent something, you almost have to strip it all away. Yeah, which I think is really important if, if somebody, if that's not coming from an external <laughs> source, that you do that yourself, just as an artist, like create those parameters and create a story so you're not just you know, mindlessly making sounds with no no meaning. I think that's that's what it comes down to. It's like create that that sort of structure. And there's two. There's no. There's really no right or wrong. But when <clears throat> when you guys say that, I think of two things. Like, does it? Where's the idea coming from? Like, where, where's your inspiration coming from? Is it coming from? Are you saying like a, like a painter? Like you're saying like, okay, here's my or a photographer. I'm gonna go out today and shoot pictures with the idea that I want to shoot something that's going to fit in this 8x10 frame that I bought. So that's your frame. And like with music, like you, you set out to write a pop song and you're instantly thinking, okay, somewhere between three and four minutes. So you kind of have your frame laid out before you. Or on the other hand, is your framework what you're trying to say? Like, oh, just went through this super hard time in my life or like I, I'm pissed off about something and that becomes your frame. So like it's almost like an emotional frame. Mm -hmm. So in that song, you know you're not gonna like express something super happy. And you know, it's like chicken or the egg a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's like are you you can do both in the same song, but it's I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Like because really it's why. It's like are you coming from a place of why you're doing it, or are you coming from a place of of trying to almost surprise yourself or put limitations on yourself to force yourself to like innovate in a way. Right. I don't think that those people that I was talking about, I don't think they sat down and wrote it down like I will not use thirds. You know, I think, so it was their aesthetic. I think it was their what they heard and that's what they liked. So it happened to be something that they would just go, okay, that's who I am. See, that's huge, I think. Because when, when you hear that and you hear them talk about what they did, 
they're talking about it in retrospect. So in a way, there's like this weird thing that it can actually adversely affect new artists because they're like, oh, well, I'm going to do that then. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pull a Frank Zappa instead of like him. He did it because that's what he wanted to hear. And I think the best art comes comes from that place of like, there's a, um, call it kind of like a, a subjective objectivity. It's like the artist is like, thinks things are like yes or no, right or wrong when they're really not. Everything is subjective, but an artist looks at something and goes, no way, they're painting something like that has to be red. And some other artists would walk in the room and go like, I don't know, it could be green, whatever. And the artist's like, no, it's freaking red, you know? Like, I used to be that way with, with drum sounds. Like, when I was all about the drums, it was like, no, the snare drum is cranked as tight as I can get it, and I want it to just be like, uh, and smack you. I used to think like, loose snare drum sounds were stupid. And that was like my, <laughs> until I became a songwriter, went like, oh, that's a voice. That's like a thing that, that helps a song. Right. Have a fat snare, like what? I can see something's on your mind. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm taking it all in. Yeah, it's, it's like, well, it's, it's I'm I'm relating everything to, to my line of work, which has very strict like parameters and. For the people who don't know, just like you know, uh, it's basically competitive percussion ensemble, um, like little mini shows, um, usually under ten minutes long. Uh, like, you know, when I'm talking to complete lay people, I, I would equate it to, like, uh, more of an educational, scholastic version of Blue Man Group or Cirque du Soleil with percussion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, something like that. It doesn't have to be that theatrical, but that's the gist. So trying to create these these shows for, for high school kids and college kids um, using percussion. and uh, So that concept and, for you... Yeah, it's, it's, and I, I think, you know, you and I have talked about this before, about if, if I could paint, I would be a painter. And that would be my medium. That's, that's what I would do. And it just so happens that I, I have a knack for, for this thing, this weird, odd world mm -hmm. of percussion ensemble. And so that is my, that's my personal passion and my, my creative outlet. Yeah. Uh, but, if, you know, if somebody... You know, could could uh, somehow give me the gift of of seeing the matrix with painting. <laughs> I I would drop this. I would drop it, and I would paint. Wow. So here's a question for you. This is sort of off off the field, but don't you think there's some sort of like <clears throat> core element in being an artist where that kind of transcends any kind of technique? Like if if I gave you a canvas and said, okay, don't go above your, your painting technique ability, but express yourself on this canvas. Yeah. I would I, think I knowing would, you, you could do it. Yeah, I, I would have fun doing that, actually. Yeah. So you just know, like, okay, I'm not going to try to paint, you know, the Mona Lisa, a perfectly shadowed and shaded right. face with all this emotion stuff, but you could probably paint something abstract. I think we see that a lot of time just in music, mm -hmm. just with people have... Uh, I don't know if you'd call it talent limitations, but like uh, yeah. the Ramones come to mind. Yeah, the Ramones can't shred on guitar, so they write songs that don't require shredding on guitar. And but their entire up, yeah, it's it's self a, is in there. It's definitely a thing, and like you, that has to be. I mean, it it is legit. It's punk rock, but it's it's uh, yeah. it's definitely their own voice. I mean, they created something that wasn't there.
Yeah, they decided they were going to take all their energy and um, leave pretense behind and put all their energy into something else rather than put it in, into technique or getting better or learning more chords. They're going to go, no, nah, I'm not going to learn anything else. I'm just going to try to make this more and more intense and more and more crazy and like, you know, the live performance is that much more incredible and like push that style as far as you can push it. Right. Well, the funny thing about Ramones is it sound like 50s music. It's all 50s chord changes with power chords. Yeah, that, that was the 8 by 10 frame. <laughs> and they go, I'll jump, they go! It's like punk rock with 50s chord changes. Uh-huh. So in a way, they yeah. chose their frame. They're like, yeah. oh, we're just going to use these chords, yeah. but it's all going to be attitude. Yeah. Like, attitude's going to be where we are artists. I think about Jack DeJohnette, to talk about a switch, but you go from punk music, punk rock, to like one of the great jazz drummers, mm-hmm. who's somebody who is like an incredible technical drummer, you know, who's into, you know, guys like Vinny or who, name your drummer, watch Dijonette, <clears throat> and you could take a clip of Dijonette like at his best, and you might like think it's just somebody's random grandpa who's just drumming, because he's so kind of like, just primal and sort of somebody's sloppy. Random <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just an, old, an old dude yeah. going crazy. But he's one of the greats because he's just kind of like, you know what, I don't, I don't need to have perfectly executed roles and be it's able what, to play the I think, it's, I think it's what he does with the musicians. You know, it's like how he make, propels the music forward. It's not so much about all his things that he does. It's about what the way he yeah. plays affects how the pianos plays and everybody like everything's contextual. Everybody rises with it right. because you're right. It's like a, it's like a soulful thing. Yeah, that brings us back to the fighting thing because he seems like somebody who's like, I don't care what it takes. Like I'm gonna. You know, when somebody throws a punch, if it looks weird the way I counter strike, that's fine. The point is, is that, yeah. is that I hit back. You know, like he, he's the guy that'll break the bottle, and all of a sudden now he's got like the broken bottle, and he's fighting with that, or you yeah. know, like he's fighting with a share. He's improvising. He's, he's just ready. improvising. He's he uses whatever yeah. is available to him, as opposed to like somebody who might be really studied. Right. Like oh. Somebody just threw a strike. It's time for my quads. You know? Right. Throwing, like, the more studied approach. Mm-hmm. But it's weird. It's, it's hard to put down your, um, your preconceived notions of what's cool. Yeah. Well, I've seen drummers look at Jack DeJohn and go, oh, that guy sucks. He's got no technique. He's lame. I go, you're missing the whole point. Yep. It's not about that. If you want to hear a drummer whack off, go listen to Ron Bruner Jr. or somebody like that, you know, who can do his thing. But it's like... <laughs> It's like, no offense. that guy's great. He's awesome. But he's good at like playing a certain style. If, like, if you want a technique drummer, he's a great guy for that. <clears throat> yeah, you know, you, you, you kind of hit on the, the contextual point again, like that you're, when you miss the point, I think is you miss the context. Um, something that, that kind of relates to that in, in, in my world a little bit, it's like uh, you, have, you have the melodic content of percussion, then you have uh, what we call the battery. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just all basically the, the rhythmic and textual content. A lot of content, marimbas, timpani, right, right. that whole thing. Yeah, things you can you can hum. Um, but a lot of times you'll hear, oh, that 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 group has a, a great book. Like they're watching basically the the drum set equivalent of of this piece of music. Yeah. And oh, that's a great book. And I've always thought, like, well, how do you know? Because you're you're witnessing it in a in a vacuum. You're not seeing. You're not seeing how it relates to the whole. You're not seeing the context 
of the composition. Right. I think, you know, somebody like Jack DeJohnette is the same thing. Like, you're watching a video of him playing drums, disconnected from how he's affecting the other players. Or maybe you are seeing the other players, but you're just, you're, you're focused in on, uh, you're myopic when, when right. watching the drums. Yeah, yeah. You're just focusing on the technique and all that stuff. That's when you, you usually do that when you're younger. You know, when you're young, it's yeah, all about, when you're in a learning it's, it's all about the technique of the drums and all that other stuff is sort of like in the way and... You know, I'm just hanging from young with young, you know, drummers my whole life. It's like I always notice, like, as they progress, as we get older, as musicians, we tend to not think about the technique so much because that's just a means to an end. And what's sad is some people get stuck there, though. Some yeah. people get stuck their whole lives, kind of, you know, looking at what I would say is kind of, you know, missing the point or being stuck in that myopic point of view where it is all about drumming and. Um, and that's kind of sad because it ends up just being, it's taking something that's that's an art and kind of making it into a sport. Just like how, you know, how far can I jump? How high can I jump? Rather than the musical side. Like right. where, as I'm sure if you asked a lot of the players that play with Jack DeJohnette, but who have also played with more maybe technical drummers, like somebody like Dennis Chambers or something, I would say there's a, probably a high percentage of them that are like, oh, I love playing with, Dijonette and mm -hmm. some and some that are like yeah I don't like it as much playing with Chambers or sure you know fill in the fill in the blank of who we're talking about but I don't think it's like a oh he plays faster and cleaner and is more impressive the drummer so he's the guy I like playing with the most right. I think it's a more musical thing because you're talking about asking right. somebody like Pat Metheny who he loves playing with right he's not going to look at a drummer the way drummers look at drummers He's going to be like, who reacts to me and responds right, exactly. musically? Who responds to what I'm doing, especially not, in jazz. Not who's the most impressive to other drummers. Right. But that gets into a funny thing about casting. You put the right group of people together, it can be amazing. But I've seen groups of amazing musicians all together, and they sound horrible together. It's funny how you can just put certain people together, and the chemistry is amazing. You know, that's why there's bands, you know, because those four people or five people or three made a sound like Rush or like the, the bands we grew up, like Rush and Yes and those kind of groups, the progressive rock groups, like they had a thing, like they all got together and they were all good at certain things, but you put them together and it makes like this amazing sound. You know what's crazy too? It's like the chemistry of, uh, when you say chemistry, I start, I think about, you know, like human chemistry and relationships, but there's really a parallel, I think that's why they call it chemistry. Yeah. It's like you're putting this chemical with this one. Sometimes what you get is an explosion other times what you get is like something that, like a food that tastes really good. Right. You know, like when I think about our chemistry, um, you know, we don't, we, we've been only recently more at collaborating as artists, but you and I have been collaborating and that would be a version of like, I would say most of the time it's this complimentary mix of like your chemicals and mine and you right. end up with something like better. And then every now and then though, there's a tension that we get into where you, you know, whatever the day is or something, you put mine with yours and we end up in this funny little like battle, <laughs> you know, I can think of some times yeah. earlier this year and it actually ends up creating great music. Yeah. And that's what you, with those bands. Yeah. They don't like, always get along. They don't always <laughs> get along and that's what makes the music great. Like, yeah. The tension. The it's police. The, tension. the police. Exactly. The police. Yeah. They beat each other up. Yeah. So it can go both ways. Right. It might not be good for the, the people that are making it. They might hate each other. <laughs> but the result has that within yeah. it and that yeah. tension. Well, there. the Beatles, I mean, all the greats at some point dissolve. Because, That's why bands don't last, usually. Because yeah, you just have a hard time. Like, Well, because everybody grows in different directions, too. 
you know, we're all seeking new things and stuff like that. And sometimes they're like, you're going this way as opposed to going this way. And it takes a lot of strength too, because it's like bands are like marriages. Yeah. And I think marriages, if you have a marriage and you never fight, I almost think there's something wrong rather than right. Because two right. people coming together, it's like, what do you, it's got to be something you're fighting for. And, you know, everybody's imperfect. And it's that ability to push beyond it right. and well, like, you get the good things that you get from tension. And you put the road in there too. You put, it, now, imagine if you're just making records all the time. That's, you can tolerate that because you go home. And, but when you're on the road, it's like you're together all the time. You know what I mean? I think that's eventually what breaks up a band too, is they just hate each other on the road. It's like, I've been on the road with guys, like, after a couple of weeks, I just like, I don't even want to see you anymore. <laughs> I don't want to hear a word out of your mouth. I'm not naming any names, of course. But. Don't name any names. Didn't who did you throw a backpack at somebody, or somebody threw a backpack at you? That's a dumb story, but I'll tell it. <laughs> <laughs> tell it. One of my really good friends, still a great friend to this day, awesome friend, great Drew guy. Hester. We all know Drew Hester. Yeah. Awesome drummer, great guy, brilliant person. But that particular day was not one of his best. <laughs> and so I went to get a frappuccino at Starbucks, which is what a man does when he's in the middle of nowhere and bored. And so I go to get my frappuccino. And, and he thought I took too long. So he makes the car, or the, it was a Winnebago, or what, a Bago, or what they call those things. They drove away. He was the tour manager. He's right? a tour manager trying to teach That's me a lesson. Oh, no. He's he actually a great me. drummer, but he was tour manager. He was, yeah, it was Taylor, Taylor Hawkins was the artist. We were touring with him. So anyways, he moved the car forward to where I couldn't find it. And then he was like, when I finally found him, he was like, took too long, man. He was like, I was like, so I was like, took my backpack and I just shoved it at him. I wanted to kill him. I love you though. I do love you, but that particular day was not a good thing. So that, that brought back some of that Paul Hahn. <laughs> some Bruce Lee moves that I had to work on. You know, I, the flying backpack wasn't in there. Yeah, but that's what I made up. See, I improvised. I was water. That's true. You were deep. I found what I needed and I chucked it. I wasn't particularly proud of that. It's like acting like a two-year-old, but you know, use your words, Cannon. <laughs> I'm upset, but. I think this Bruce Lee thing is pretty cool, man. It's like, there's a correlation between fighting and music. There totally is. And arts, too. Like, if you're talking about painting or dancing, I, think I mean, that's why they call it the arts. Even, even like, some of the micro-technique, like, just the sense of velocity in the way we hit a drum or the, the primal, mm -hmm. um, the act of just striking something um, or, or throwing an object, that, that sense of velocity where you have complete relaxation, Everything is just nice and loose and flowing, and then you have that crack of the whip. You know, right. whether it's a percussion instrument or it's it's an attack, it's a physical attack, it's mm -hmm. an offensive or defensive attack, um, or that could even relate to throwing an object. Yeah, we call it's, he called it the one inch punch. There's video you can search it on YouTube. Yeah, he does it. Yeah, and he's like an inch away from the guy, and then it's all about velocity. He called it like um, something to do with his chi, like he all his energy together and then just bam like he said and you see that and you know I'm a huge fan of MMA and watching UFC and stuff and you see the guys the knockout artists um, a lot of times it's accuracy it's like something that a lot of people say you're you're either born with it or you, or not but you can watch the guy there's something physically going on that has more to do with uh, with weight or strength or any of those things it's like it's the speed of the impact and it's it's obviously where you're hitting somebody but there's a total correlation there to how when you're drumming anything I mean most instruments have some sort of 
there's an impact involved. And you gotta think fast on your feet. Yeah. Even when I'm soloing guitar, if I'm playing a blues solo or a jazz solo or whatever, or even a, if it was a pop song and I had to come up with a solo, you're thinking things like, you're doing this stuff, but you're doing it here, you know? You're just thinking of things quickly. Yeah, it's almost like the uh, the horizontal because we're talking about the physical physical impact, and you're talking about the like the reactionary right. like, speed. And how much of that is <coughs> reflecting or drawing from your your ten thousand hours on your well, that's your it. instrument. When we're talking about technique, familiarity. Just yeah. for the record, I don't think drummers with great technique is a bad thing at all. I think that's like I think you need that. I think you know some drummers get away with less technique because they have a certain thing or a guitar player or whatever. I mean, Jimi Hendrix didn't have, like, mind-blowing speed, but what he did outside of that was amazing, you know? It but seems like technique should always serve your the music. goal. It should serve your goal. Like, if you, you know, it was clear, you take somebody famous like Kurt Cobain, it was clear that what he wanted to say, he had enough technique to say it, you know, because part of how he said it was that it was... What he wanted to say was raw, so he didn't think... He didn't need to hone his technique into being this beautifully performed thing so he had enough technique to do to express what he wanted to express and there are guys that you know just have a very limited amount of technique and you don't feel like there's anything missing because it's like that's they've done enough to express what they want to express like the Ramones but then you see the reverse where and you see that especially with growing musicians you know I can think of times when I was a kid where I, I felt so frustrated because it was like there was so much more that I wanted to, to say or express that I wasn't able to yet. There's nothing worse than that. Right. And that can either, you know, hold you back and just frustrate you and you actually never end up pushing yourself beyond that point of your own abilities to, to say what you want to say or you push through it and, <clears throat> and you fulfill kind of your potential, I guess. Right. That's In a way that kind of... Like, I mean, this is going to sound really harsh, but doesn't that, that weed out the weak link in the chain? I mean, it's like people that persevere past that are the ones that actually end up doing music for like a living and the ones that say, oh man, I can't do it. I had so many friends. I had a good friend of mine play bass and he was talented. Like he had technique, and like he could play, but he would always like, he'd get to a certain point and then he'd stop and say, I don't want to do this. And he'd say, oh, it sucks or... But I saw the potential in it. I was like, dude, if you kept pushing forward and you didn't let yourself do that, you could, you know, you can go on and do great things on the instrument. Well, that brings up a huge thing, man. Like part of, um, and we'll talk about this more as we do more of these podcasts, but um, I've been developing kind of this approach to the arts um, and talking about it a lot with Mike, where that, that really brings up, and the approach is, is called like a holistic approach to the arts, where you're looking at somebody in a, in a complete picture from the spiritual realm, you know, philosophical realm, psychological and physiological. So physiological would be technique and psychological would be, you know, the barrier that your friend had. You know, there was something in him psychologically that was getting in the way of his his ability to push back those push beyond those barriers, whether it's like insecurity or maybe something he didn't get in childhood, some kind of support well, sure. he Lots didn't get. Stuff. Like I look at my childhood and I'm like super blessed to have parents that always were just like, yeah, yeah, you can do this, you know, I, I never felt like I couldn't do something. But right. imagine, I imagine myself growing up in a situation, if, if I had a dad or something that was just like, you're worthless or, you know, like, held me down, you know, for my personality, that probably would have affected my ability to have the confidence to push beyond because I'm a pretty sensitive person. Some people 
respond in the reverse way and, and just like, ah, screw you. you. And yeah. They just, well, it, yeah, I don't think it's... It's not always a situation where, hey, let's let's fix this person. Something's wrong with them. It's just maybe they're not made for that. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe they're... You're right, because being a musician's hard. I mean, it's a hard business, so if you're... you're you have to, to put, yeah, you have to... It can't be a choice. If it's a choice, then it, it's not for you. I think that's totally correct. I think but I think you're born with it. Yeah, it's I would argue though that you know if, if somebody would have, in the right way and speaking his language, would have would have gotten in there with him and been like, I was trying. I no, tried. I, I know, but I mean, you failed again. <laughs> I failed him. <laughs> well, first of all, it wasn't it wasn't your job. You know what I mean? I was it's too like, young, anyways. I didn't have like the life skills to like help a guy like that. You know, it's yeah. like I was like a young kid. We were both kids. So, I mean, my version of help was probably like, come on, you can do it. Well, screw you. I'm on to something else. I'm going to play Nintendo. And you were on, you, you know, you guys were friends. So you guys were like yeah. peers and like, I think somebody. There's probably a level of competition. Somebody would have needed to come in that was older and. He needed and, a mentor. Yeah, he needed a mentor. And yeah. like some of us get him and some of us don't. But I think there is that thing of, of it's kind of a tragedy. Like maybe he, if maybe he could have been saved by, you know, somebody coming in at the right moment and and looking at him on the human level rather than just going like why don't you just push through man just practice harder or not that that's what you were saying but right. just you know get in there and show him like that you know there, there's there's something else stopping him that's non-musical oh for sure yeah he had a lot of barriers I mean that's but a lot of musicians unfortunately have that I think we all do to some degree for sure yeah you guys were, were touching on something right before we got into that about uh, the the reverse where you have all technique. Right. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, the activity I'm involved in, mm-hmm. you see a lot of that. Yeah. And because yeah, a lot of these, these kids are just, um, they're not, the, not necessarily the kind of kids that, that play sports. That they're not on the football team, they're not on the baseball team. Right. Um, that doesn't mean they're not athletic, it's just they they don't do that. Yeah, that's not their thing. And they, they kind of gravitate towards the arts, whether it be, you know, choir, theater, or music, somehow end up in this percussion ensemble that's competitive. And it's there's so much about just just that world, like the way that everything is just set up, the, the, the curriculum and, yeah. and the path that, that most of these programs are on that is, is heavily technique-based. It's right. just technique, technique, technique. And that's, it's not... That's not necessarily a bad thing. That's just the animal. That's just what it is. Um, yeah, it's the frame. Yeah, and I, I think there's there's a handful of us that tend to go against the grain, and and uh, and think of it as more of a an art form. Then there's those that are that are purists that say, this is not art. This is competition. Right. It's all about excellence. It's all about that uh, that you know striving for perfection. Right which is an interesting dichotomy. And you try to throw it all into a bowl and mix it up and then judge it and give yeah. it a number, right. quantify quantify what I just did. <laughs> yeah. And and that's that's where the interesting like rub happens between like everything you guys were just talking about. The the person that has just enough technique to say what they want to say. Mm-hmm. And then the person that's that's all technique and maybe they don't have anything to say. Are yeah, those people but in, in your line of work, are those people excelling? Are they the ones winning the competition? It's often. I would say more. More often than not, um, however, occasionally you have that artistic venture, 
that um, is, is perfectly mixed with talent and technique. Right. And it's it's a beautiful. It's it's that's really what you've been describing. It's a masterpiece. For. Yeah. Right. Because I mean, it's interesting because what it's obviously super impressive to he, to see you know technical mastery. Of course, yeah. yeah. And that's on any instrument. Like what? But what's more important? You know, like how many people are at the finals? How many thousand people are sitting in the stands? Uh, roughly. If it's just a, a few thousand. I I would say. <clears throat> Over 5,000. Okay, so yeah. if you think about it, there's over 5,000 people there. What's more important for them to go, wow, and then leave? Or for them to be actually moved, or, you know, to have something artistic happen to them, where they have an emotional experience that leaves an imprint on them, that, that, that leaves them thinking, you know, like, or feeling, or, or, you know, something actually on a human level that's important, as opposed to, like, just being, like, wowed by some, like, technical thing like I can't believe they just did that that seems really hard that seems like a like a way more shallow um, I guess more escapism entertainment side of things whereas you know I think it's a much harder thing to do and, and much it's a much higher pursuit I think to try to affect people on a, on a some sort of personal level but there's there's, a, there's that problem where like the judge's scorecard there's right. not there's not a bunch of boxes in there that say like this made me think about my life one to ten <laughs> this <laughs> that period it'll really not made me think about how yeah, this my made, life this made me cry this well, yeah, like, what's what's cool about it, it is that there is a place for both which yeah. which is cool it's which, I I can say you know hey that's not my cup of tea that's I, that's not how I choose to do <clears> it um, that's not how I see it it's not my vision. But I can still appreciate it, and I think it's the same with music. I, there's definitely bands and artists out there that we can look at and say it's it's a noodle fest. It's like who can play the fast noodles, right? And and, and there's there's an emotional impact to that. Yeah. It's not that there isn't any either. But yeah. I would be very interested. I wish we could do this to like give every audience member at the finals just like a you know out of the top three, who was your favorite? And see if it's the number one every time. Because well, if it's not, if all, if everybody in the audience doesn't pick their favorite was the one the person who won, something's wrong, right? So well, that's why they have the judges, the trained judges. Yeah, to make the decision some, sometimes for the it depends. It all it all comes down to the the integrity of of. Well, not that the layman should should decide what's right. Yeah, or wrong, because there there are things there are things that are. There's a, a subtlety um, involved that I think needs that that expert, and I guess that the problem is, who are these experts? Who they're, hired the experts? They're all just people. Yeah, and, yeah. and what, you know, it's it's so subjective. It's it's almost like it, just the, the dangerous rabbit hole to, to try to follow. Um, well, so are emotions in general. I mean, yeah. like somebody might react to the guy that's playing fast. That might give him like this feeling that's yeah. like, oh, I love well, that. Depend, I think it depends you know, a lot. The guy's like, do you feel know. like listening to the same genre of music twenty four hours a day? Who me? Yeah. Oh, just man, yes, I'm the wrong guy because I just <laughs> I can't even listen to two minutes of a song without changing it now. Well, Thanks to the damn iPod. The right so like, there's certain times, there's certain times of the day, or certain times of the week, or just times of my life where I've I've gravitated towards certain type of music. Like yeah. where I man, you know, I don't want to hear art right now. 
I just want to hear like a nice pop song and just be cool with that. I'm good. And then there's times where I want to, you know, listen to, to a composition, something that's, that's beautifully crafted. Um, that's a, yeah, there's it's, a couple things at play here. I mean, like the, that's the beauty of art is it can serve so many purposes. It can be <clears throat> the backdrop to some other experience. It can be the thing you're focusing on 100%, you know, like, right. a, like a movie in a movie theater, or it could be, um, you know, music you're working out to or music you're just listening to in front of speakers or with headphones on. But to get back to that other thing, it's like, it's a paradigm issue. Obviously, you're putting art in the context of comp competition. Right, yeah. Which, which is, is what same, you're doing. It's art in the context of commerce. Yeah. And <laughs> the same thing. The There's always going to be a level of some sort, yeah. you know, especially so if you're monetizing. I think it, what it just comes down to, like, just whittle it all down, is that you have to be happy with what you're doing. Right. You have to be on that road of happiness, and you can't be looking for anything in return. Okay. That's and, it. And, but it's easy to fall down... I guess the, the slippery slope is when you're not really aware that all of a sudden you're you're becoming a victim of the paradigm that you're involved in. Mm -hmm. Like it's the second that you try to do something with the arts that has to do with either seeking validation or trying to get some sort of trade off. Like I'm trying to do art so that I feel better about myself or I'm trying to do art to make money or I'm trying to do art to win this competition. Anytime you attach some sort of like reward that's disconnected from what the arts really are here for which is to like express and connect people like I'm I'm gonna make something and I'm gonna be true to myself I'm gonna put it out and then somebody else is gonna go like yeah I feel like that too or like that that made my workout better or that that made my day better because I just went through a breakup or like I feel like that's what the arts really are it's like a human exchange and then you put something in the middle like but I also want to make money or I also want to win a contest or I like yeah. That's when the whole thing just gets all screwed up and you can find yourself caring about that middle thing. There's a positive aspect to it, though, because I think it that invites more participation from the masses when you, there is something attached to it. Like, you, you have... There is the potential to have more creative minds or more creativity just in general and more artists, if you want to put that in quotations. Um just existing the fact that if art was just <clears throat> art for art's sake 100% of the time we never attached anything to it um, I think there's fewer people involved that's basically what I'm trying to say so the fact that we have art as music and we're trying to sell albums and the fact that we have art as competition and we're trying to get the highest score and all these other little arms and, and fingers of, of what art can be there's more more people involved which eventually could be a good thing. Yeah, I agree. A more creative society, I guess. Right. It's in that, yeah, it's in that chaos that you find, you get the beauty of people reacting to things. and Basically, competition, competition is, is kind of a good thing, and it drives, it drives everybody, but I think, and hopefully this doesn't come across as like a sexist remark, but I think males tend to be even more competitive, or there's some sort of thing in there where like, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna kick your ass, or I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do this better than you, and like that really, it's capitalism kind of because you're just like you're you're competing with each other. So you oh that person did this, well I'm gonna try to do it better, and that really isn't like the spirit of the arts, but it can like you said make for greater better art because you're pushing yourself. Not necessarily better art, just 
It could push you. More, a, a more creative society. In, every, in everything. In yeah. ad campaigns, commercials that we see, the buildings that we build. Like, look at, look at the skyline. I mean, do we just have to have these, you know, mundane rectangles, you know, cluttering the skyline? Or can, can, <clears throat> is there a way to be a little more creative with that? And so when we walk down our streets, it's just a cool place to be. I latched on to something you just said because I was thinking about this yesterday is think about how much of the arts that we hear these days are attached to selling something like how much of, of the art that we experience, whether it's a song or some sort of visual, something that where artists were involved in creating it. And the purpose of that, the reason why you're hearing it is because somebody's trying to sell you something else. Mm -hmm. It's insane how much art we experience through that mechanism. If you turn on the TV, it's like every commercial has somebody's art in it. Sometimes it's just somebody, you know, express themselves and then somebody said, hey, I want to put that on my, you know, tampon commercial. And that's really going to sell a lot of tampons, you know, like that's the perfect song for this. Right. Or <laughs> I mean, there's a double-edged sword of that, but the thing too that can happen from that as well is that people can hear the artist and get, you know, get some exposure to the artist they probably wouldn't otherwise. It's definitely and, good. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of on a high horse, not a high horse, but a soapbox here because like I've seen so many artists going after, like basically putting aside their expression and going like, I'm going to write a bunch of songs to try to get them in commercials. Right. And it's sort of like they're, that's like time in an artist's life that they're kind of like wasting trying to be in the ad campaign with their music. Or a lot of times, the music that is chosen to be in those campaigns is the is the stuff that was written not for it, but... Well, a lot of times, yeah. Ad music's crazy because, you know, you'll get a, a list saying, we want to sound like the killers meets blah, blah, blah. And you'll do exactly that and nobody wants it. And then they pick something completely different. Yeah. Because that's like a that's a horrible business to get into chasing ad campaigns. We tried one. We've tried, yeah, I've tried it a bunch of times, yeah. and every time I've done good. We have had a couple of good successes though. Yeah, we we've had some successes, but it's still it's a little bit of an empty success. And I've had more successes in that realm when I wasn't trying. So it's like you go after it, and you end up kind of wasting your time most of the time. Right. You don't go after it, and it ends up sort of happening more yeah. than it would have if that makes any sense. I think so. Yeah, like, the songs that end up, like, that I've had in commercials or, or used, connected to products have been ones that I haven't written for that purpose. Right. And then, but whenever we've gotten an opportunity, like, for example, me and Andy have tons of times that are like, we need a theme song for this show. Mm -hmm. And you try to write it, and that's the thing we've failed at more than anything. Right. Is like... Okay, let's write a, you know, 40-second song that's going to be like... And then there's... And just, it's the, one of the hardest things to do. Well, what I think we learned about a theme song is that you have to know the top in order to get even close to getting a theme song. You like mean the, the Jeff Probst. business guys at the top? Yeah, like we knew, we, we wrote a theme song for the Jeff Probst show that was on NBC like two years ago or whatever. It was a daytime talk show. The guy from Survivor? Survivor. So this guy, a friend of mine, BC, came over and he's like, we need to write a song for this guy. He's a good friend of mine. They were best friends. It was his show. And we wrote it, he loved it, and they still made us wait for like almost a year before they decided. They hired an ad agency to do yeah. like... They still went around the bend, and but Jeff Probst always liked our song. So he was just letting them kind of, in some ways, he was just kind of letting them do your thing. This is what I like, but if you can beat it, cool. 
and then we ended up getting it. But I think when it comes to ad agencies and stuff like that, you're right. You're like so such a small percentage of getting those kind of gigs are based on the music. It's who you know. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it kind of depends on what the situation. You could. Is. I mean, there's always a chance. That's why people do it. It's like winning the lottery. You can always get it. It depends if it's a. I think a committee thing, or if it is kind of like a, you know, like if you're, for example, if you're trying to get movie like music in a film, like a song in a film and it's a Martin Scorsese film, he's going to be picking that song for the sheer, like, idea that it fits the movie. Right. As opposed to, like, if you're writing music for some, you know, random film that has, like, this, that's run by committee, like, maybe it's, like, the next, you know, Spider-Man movie or something, or I, I don't know if that's run by committee all the time, but, like, could be a bad example, but... Something where it's like there's not an auteur involved, like somebody, like an artistic center who makes the final decision, right. like a Scorsese or something. Then it's just a complete, it's a kind of a crapshoot what's going to get chosen. And right. it, it could be about the relationship like it was in Jeff Probst's case, yeah, we, or it could be just completely about like a room full of people going, well, I, I think that one's the best. And then you just take a vote. And it might not be the actual best song for the position, but it's the one that the most people... Yeah, because they have their taste, and their taste it's, is probably it's the wacky. definition of vanilla and beige, and just when you homogenize that. <laughs> I've heard you talk about that. Explain that, because yeah. like <laughs> vanilla well, I, and beige. yeah, well, I just yeah. I have this. If if paints were competitive, which paint wins? Which paint gets the most points? Which paint gets the most money? And it's beige. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's used the most, yeah. Yeah. If flavors of ice cream yeah. got points or made money, the winner is vanilla. Right. And it's... But vanilla tastes great. But then if I say... <laughs> it's true. But then if I say, Gannon, what's your favorite color? You don't say beige, and you don't say beige, and I don't say beige. I don't know anyone who would say beige. Yet, <laughs> beige is what we see. Because it doesn't offend anyone. It doesn't yeah. make a statement. Yeah. It doesn't... Uh, it's great on the wall. It doesn't polarize in any way. Yeah. And therefore, it, it, it affects no one, and it's, it's, the safe, it's the safe bet. Yeah, yeah, and as a career artist, beige is... What beige is at any given moment is always changing. So like two, I would say two years ago, two, three years ago, the beige for producers was anything Dr. Luke did like with Katy Perry. That became beige for us. Even though the original version, I wouldn't call beige. I wouldn't call Katy Perry beige. But she, and she created the, the, the vanilla or beige benchmark. So that we went to write a pop song, yeah. or, or whoever who was like, all right, let's try to just write a song that people at record labels are gonna think it sounds like a hit. It's like, well, beige. Like, you know exactly what color to paint the yeah. drums. Beige, it's gotta sound, it's gotta have a certain sound, and that becomes your beige. Right, right, yeah. And I think what would be great, and I think it's actually happening, is like, things are getting dispersed now, where the, if you look at the charts right now, pretty hard to find what, what it's harder yeah. to, to find what, what the beige is. Yeah. Like, it's not being dominated by one sound. Yeah, so it kind of forces you to look in yourself and go like, well, okay, what color do I like? Because I yeah. can't find one color. That's a great point, man. Like today's music is like, it's all about 
originality to some degree. Because if the more beige you are, the more invisible you are. Yeah. It's like if you come out sounding like Katy Perry three years ago, then you're already, you're dead, you know. But if you come out sounding like the last Ellie Goulding single even, you're dead. It's like you have to, you have to do something different. I've been totally getting uh, immersed in like the electronic music thing. Because I've been like, you know, being a musician, you're always looking for like new ways of entertaining yourself, you know. Like I've, <laughs> I've been fusion music, classical music, jazz music, you know, yeah. pop music. It's like I'm all, I cannot sit still musically. That's probably been my demise if I ever wanted to be a solo artist. I remember this guy sat me down. He says, who are you? One minute you're making this music. The next minute you're making this music. I just want you to figure out who you are. <laughs> and, I, and I finally realized he was right in the sense that I wanted to make a record at the time. I wanted to make an instrumental. Like, but he wanted me to make a blues record. And I didn't want to make a blues record, which seems stupid now. I should have done it. But it's like, why didn't I make a blues record? It was a big freaking deal. But why did I have to like, have a hothead about it and say, I'm not a blues artist, you know? Fall in your heart. But anyways... At the time, I was like, I was into something else, you know, like, so my whole... Your whole point was recently. Like, yeah, recently I began electronic music. So I, I kind of been studying up on like, thank you. <laughs> That's how these things roll. Um, I've been getting into electronic music and really immersing myself in that style. And it's very fascinating how that world works. You know, it's like, I'm so behind it that I'm like, it's like I'm learning and I'm like starting over again. That's really exciting. I like that. It's like almost like not knowing how to play the guitar and then learning how to play the guitar at the same time, you know? And yeah, I always look at, like, know, the... You know music. I know music. Like, I understand it. It's like, I get it, and I understand, like, the sounds and stuff. But what's exciting to me is, like, I look at the screen, and I say, well, what am I going to put on the screen? Like, what am I hearing right now? What's, what do I do? You know? And then you kind of just start throwing things on there. It's like, in a way, it's like, to me, it's very much like painting. It's like you're throwing music on there, and you're hearing it, and you're like, okay, I want, I want blue here, I want green here, I want beige here want more beige well, I just want to say that is that you you found a new medium that's exciting it's exciting for me but that doesn't require as much technique as it does no a lot of these producers guys are just like they're just I mean I don't agree with some of the, the techniques where they just take loops of pre-existing loops and stuff like that I'm trying to make it yeah but that's what I'm saying like you've you're able to use all your musicality and right. knowledge of music and you don't have to actually learn a new instrument. Right. Now you're, you're, you're able to like let the computer do the work. Like, right. like it's the like computer is the bicycle for the brain, so Steve Jobs yeah. said. So it's like it's doing the work for you, but you're sure. able to put all that knowledge to work without having to learn the right. skill of like painting the perfect picture. Like you didn't have to go in and um, create the program right. that made all this crazy stuff possible. Right. But what you do have to do, I think, or not, you don't have to do it, but what we talked about is that, like, there's a responsibility you have when you use that program to just not use the preset sounds. Yeah, you got to tool, you got to mess with the sounds. Everybody I've watched podcasts and stuff, they, like, that's the first no-no, and -no I've been using Logic, so, like, the first no-no in Logic is do not use the presets the way they are, because everybody can do that. And yeah. for some reason, when I first got the program, I was like, I love this sound, I love that sound, I'm putting it together in a soup. And then I realized, we were working with this lady and she was like, she's like, you're not using all the preset sounds because nobody does that. And I was like, uh oh, oh crap, well I just did. And so I was like, okay, it, I had a light bulb. Until that comes full circle and yeah. it's cool again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, well, it's, I don't know why we're even talking about that, but it's fun to talk about. No, but there's like, layers to what you were doing. Like you were composing, so you, were, you weren't using... It was using more like collage art. You weren't using, I wouldn't even say that, man, because you weren't using preset melodies and preset chords no I was making it my own stuff you were just using preset timbres you timbres, could say yeah. so it's almost like 
I would think that while you're in composition mode, maybe it's fine to just use presets, but then go through and go, you know what? I can tweak a bit. Now I'm going to look at it timbrely instead of harmonically right. and find like, what do I really want this to sound like? Or you right. do that while you're doing it. Sure. Like, that's become a big thing for me in that same world because obviously you've kind of gone over into electronics and electronic mm -hmm. music and I've kind of gone the other way because I see like the world going very electronic and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to make my organic side of things. Sound electronic. Uh, no, no, as unique as possible. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think there's something about, I don't know if you necessarily call it a rule that, you know, because then it homogenizes too much, but there's something about not being able to tell what you use yeah. to create your art that's, that's really attractive. Like if there's a mystery to it. Like if I can tell that you use logic just by listening to it, or um, right. there's a lot, there's a lot of like you know, graphic design programs that have, you know, like little Photoshop filters and things like that. Yeah, the, the equivalent, totally. where you can say, oh yeah, they use this program to yeah. do that. Um, and that's why I mean we're in a very unique time in history because like, right now we're just obsessed with the fact that you can get push button results that took you you know days of work. 15 years ago so now there's like there's a lot more responsibility again to like be an artist yeah. you know like I'm there's like the last few years you can you can pull up a, a drum sampler and get amazing sounding real drum sounds like just right there you don't have to try so that makes it like okay do I just use that but then everybody's using that so it's right. like well nobody has this room with that snare drum with that piano creating this angle so like to me it became really important like I'm gonna make my own drum sounds and try to make them sound like I made like just try to have something unique it's kind of what you're saying like because if you can tell like oh yeah those are there's a bunch of different programs but if, those are slate drums so that's that's Chris Lord algae snare sample and yes it sounds good but what are you saying that's what Chris Lord algae wanted to say or that's what right. you know it's like you're using this like stock version and then your collage, you're doing collage work, which is okay, but is it really what you would have chosen if you had like a full palette in front of you? Would you have chosen that vanilla, <laughs> really good sounding snare with the perfect decay time in the tuned studio? Right. Or would your song be actually better Zulch. if you got like a weird snare recorded in your bathroom with the only mic you had? Right. You know? Yeah, there's definitely something to that. It's kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah. How does that affect what you do because you have such stringent parameters, kind of in your in your world, in the per competitive percussion ensemble world. Like I see, now that I've been working with you for like a couple seasons and watching you a little closer, it's cool to see how much you are trying to, or not trying, but you're innovating in what you do. It's a part of like yeah, being the, within the framework. Yeah, the the layers of of restrictions are. When I when I think about when I put it in context with with your world, it's I never thought of them as like being really restrictive, like what I what I go through. But it absolutely is because um, you know I had this conversation before about what I do. It has to be sort of a commercial mm. at the same time as as I, I try to make it a That's work right. of art because what you're dealing with is I'm not recording something. I'm not. I'm not saving something to, you know, to disc. It's uh, these are human beings, individuals, 
kids that are that are participating in this. It's highly experiential. Yeah, and they not only is it a live performance issue, but it's also it is what I'm creating fun to play, not just fun to listen to or to experience, like as a as a work of art, mm-hmm. but is it fun for the people actually creating the art? And if it's not, then you lose your membership. Wow. And then you lose you you actually you'll drop down a tier of of talent level and experience, and you know that that can be um, unrecoverable sometimes. Yeah. Um, Which affects how much you can be an artist and right everybody involved too. Like you lose some of your tools to create something awesome. Now, thankfully, I've I I've been in a in a position where mostly I don't even have to think about that stuff. It just sort of happens naturally. Yeah. Where what I want to hear happens to be something that's fun to do. Yeah. Um, but th- there's definitely that, there's that line where you, you start getting too artsy, too experimental, and you you have kids that aren't necessarily artists. I mean, they could be. There's a lot of potential there. They're, they're performers. They're athletic. Yeah. Um, they want they want to do the equivalent of um, yeah. Sometimes I, I, I think of the analogy of uh, of uh, going to the gym and how going to the gym became a sport. When going to the gym or the equivalent historical equivalent of going to the gym was to prepare for other things, <laughs> you know. But then the preparation for other things became the sport. Yeah. And that's sort of how I, I how I envision the activity, this percussion, uh, competitive percussion. Right. And so what happens is you you've got these kids that are you know awesome at doing, you know the push ups and the pull ups and the the bench presses and and the treadmill like you name it they're just awesome at it and they want to do it. Right. But then you're trying to create art, like you're trying to create like the equivalent of you know, a sweet impromptu double play, you know? Yeah. With the, the, with the, uh, you know, the dive into the dirt and the, and the toss to the second baseman. And then, you know, you're trying to create this, this, this ballet of events and with, with kids that are mostly just happy doing the gym rat stuff. Right, it's now, kind of like if you're a fighter who never fights but only trains. Right, or, right. Yeah. So, in, and I don't mean to paint, it's not, I'm not trying to paint a, a bleak picture here, I'm just trying to, it's, there are, there are kids out there that, that see the, the, the bigger picture, mm-hmm. that, hey, this is a cool way to express yourself. And I try to, I try to teach from that angle, where yeah. the paradiddle isn't important, the role, the open role is not important, it's, it's the ability to express yourself. Yeah. So, it, a lot of it is just compatibility. Like, do you feel a connection with what we're doing? Then it's for you. Right. If you don't feel a connection with what we're doing, then there's there's other teams out there. So everybody pretty much, it works itself out. Everybody yeah, finds yeah. their home. They find, their they home. find where they want to be. They find where, what suits them. Yeah. Um, but it is, a, it is a challenge if, if you, if you don't recognize that you are making a commercial at the same time. Because, Whatever you do, any particular season, is going to, like, the results of that are gonna are gonna rear its head at your auditions the following season. 
That's another one of the. Uh, I don't. This might put too bleak a picture on it, <laughs> but it's a symptom of the disease of having something crammed in the middle of the artistic paradigm of expression and connection. Right. When competition is there, people want to win. Nobody wants to be a part of a losing team. And just like when we're working with an artist, it's like our the experience they have with us. We, we want that to be a good experience and we want the product to turn out like it sounds like it could make money because that thing that's been crammed in the middle of our artistic process is money. And like everything we do is a commercial too. It's like it's you know, a commercial it, for the person who came in and worked with us and it's a commercial for the label who hears it and goes that could, was it our fault that it didn't sell? Was it our fault that it did? Like, right. You know it's, what's beautiful about all of this, though, because that's definitely the, the bleak part of it, but what's beautiful about it is that this, the percussion competition activity mm-hmm. is huge. There are more people involved in it than, than ever before, and there's more, more kids being touched by music and touched by the ability to express themselves because they don't fit in to the, to the jock paradigm with right. Being a you know football player, basketball player, and then in your world, there are way more people creating music than probably ever before because it's it's more accessible. For sure, that's the beautiful part about it. Is that and that kind of goes back to like creating a more creative society. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it really is not bleak at all. If you look at what's going on in the world and the idea that we can sit around and and care this much about things like the arts. Is is an amazing thing. I'm, you know, I feel blessed that that you know we're going to spend the rest of the day working on music, not thinking about like how we're going to protect our families from from some kind of you know terrorist assault or something. It's like it's such a when you really kind of pan back, it's like I almost feel stupid for saying anything's bleak relative to the arts. Yeah, we got pretty so, good. We're so we're so uh, fortunate to be able to do what we do and care about this stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's like, it's an interesting thing when you, when you, when you're able to care about the arts, it means things are going pretty good. I forget what the, uh, the hierarchy is, but, um, it's, it's, it's called like the hierarchy of needs that some psychologists came up with. And it's like when you're down here worrying about whether or not you're going to get food and water and you're going to live, you can't care about things higher up on the hierarchy like arts and philosophy and things like that. So as you move up and you start to go to the next layer, it's like um, getting your basic like emotional needs met and it, it just continues to go up. And the more all those basic needs are met, the more you can sit around and do a podcast. <laughs> you know, so it's like, I don't know. I just, I felt, I had this little feeling of guilt, like, oh, there's something bleak about it. But there is something beautiful about the arts. And I think... The arts can affect those people that are down on that bottom level. I mean, if you are worrying about your basic needs, and you can be comforted by the arts. I think, in some ways, those of us who are on this higher level where you're not really worried about these basic needs, we have almost a higher responsibility to create work that really is meaningful, that can like affect people that are down in the dumps. You know, like How great would it be to be able to write a song that or create a show or do make any kind of art that actually affected somebody who was like in a suicidal place in their life. Like art can do that. Art can 
give somebody that little bit of hope. I think that's kind of like the cool thing about artists. We're like, at our best, artists throughout history are like, you know, like soul warriors or something. Like we're, we have the ability to create stuff that can really make a difference in somebody's life in a, in a special moment. And if all us artists are doing are worrying about making money and winning competitions, kind of blowing it, I think. Uh, can we end on that? Let's end on that. That is beautiful. <laughs> all right, guys. We didn't talk about Adele, but and we she did. sold a lot of records. I think you all know that. <laughs> so, didn't have yeah. much to say about her anyways. Yeah, other people talk about her. She's awesome. Well, you guys, thanks for uh, listening and watching again. We'll be back every week with more. Six-hour podcast. Six-hour podcast. <laughs> Did it feel like six? <laughs> so that's Mike Jackson. I'm Adam Watts. Gannon Arnold. BrokenCityArtist.com. Check it out. Oh, and this week, uh, Irusi's uh, EP, EP came out. So check that out. Honey Cloud EP. And Sonny released Just Like That. Yeah. Those are the two artists we've been working with. Those, that is the commercials. We are brought we just to, did our own commercials. <laughs> we are brought to you by us. <laughs> Bye, everybody.